Hey, Jamie, I've got a question for you. What do you want, Tom? Who's on the podcast this coming Friday? Oh, is it someone big? Boy. Is uh, it a big one? Shall I bother listening this week? Yeah. If I was going to say uh, take. And I would say off no, your trousers. No, no. Take. Me out. No, take. Paddy McGuinness. No, take. Take on me. Take that. Wow. Have a little patience. But hang on, presumably you've only, you haven't got all three of them, have you? Presumably you've just got one of them. Buddy, we have all three of them on the podcast. They've released a new album. It's coming out. They're going on tour. They talk about the ups, the downs, the lefts, the rights, on everything that happened in Take the That. The ins, the outs. And they reveal it all this Friday. Exclusively. On Private Parts. That's a big one. I'm going to listen to that. She has a background in human rights and psychology and has lived around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Marian Pasha. That's a great introduction. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting Sam Way at an event a few years ago. Our relationship then took us to have breakfast together in Bethnal Green and dare I say the rest was history. A relentless talent says Wonderland magazine, a musical messenger says Notion Mark. Sam Way is a singer-songwriter and poet warrior deeply embedded in the London scene. Also one of the UK's top male models, Sam has signed to Models One for more than 16 years and worked alongside some of the most influential names and creators in the industry. Having landed his first job in Top Man after being scouted in Top Man on Oxford Street from a family holiday, I remember I first saw Sam Way on, and correct me if I'm wrong, as the face of Diesel Only the Brave campaign. It's possible. That was my favourite <laughs> aftershave. And then I saw you with Kate Moss and then I saw you in my WhatsApp group because I summoned you as my friend. And then you saw me <laughs> for breakfast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's Sam Way, ladies and gentlemen. He's in the building right now. Ooh. All right. How's everyone feeling today? Good, man. How are yeah, you? Good. Thanks for having us. No, I'm good. I'm good. Journey's all right. London Underground t- treating you well. I mean, the usual sweaty mess that I arrive everywhere at in the winter, but otherwise quite good. Yeah. Uh, I had the luxury of having taking an Uber here. 
but, oh, I, nice. I, but I had just jumped in the ponds at Hampstead Heath. So I was super cold oh, when yeah, so, I arrived. So talk so that, us that's been my so, morning. So well, talk, what morning? Yeah, yeah, so talk us through this. So um, every morning, is it every morning? No, 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 God, not every no. morning. So um, occasionally. Occasionally, I go out to, up to Hampstead Ponds. Yep. And I'll go and just jump in the men's pond there with a few mates. And, and get, there's other people and doing get, this as well. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's actually there's, a swimming pond. There's like loads a, of crazy people thing. doing it. It's, it's not a, a random pond. It's a thing. It's a proper thing. Yeah, it's a proper pond. And, it's like yeah. a lifeguard. And they have a women's pond. Yeah. And, and they have a mixed pond, which mm-hmm. only opens But is in there the like ducks in the water as well? Yeah, there's swans. There's stuff underneath the water. It's a pond yeah, pond. It's like. a wow. Pond. Algae. Algae pond. And do you find this helps your mental health? It's definitely a wake up call. Because we were discussing, you found a BBC Yeah, We were. I mean, there is, again, like, I mean, getting straight onto topic. There is uh, lots of, there's like studies and lots of like anecdotal evidence, especially from people who are saying that um, putting the body into those sort of situations of like shock and high stress mm-hmm. and actually learning to like the breath, calming it down uh, and being able to like basically test and push the system helps you deal with like, it kind of help you deal with anxiety and stress and also deeply affect your mental health. So yes. that's not essentially the reason why I, I first do started doing it, but I have found it really, really amazing. And it's only really come into my life in the last two years. How long, have so you, you have wanna, been doing it for two years? Yeah, so you want to join me next time? Uh, is, is no, that, I'm sorry, okay. I think I'll happily support you in your adventures in life, but <laughs> From I, can't, afar. I, can't, I can't even have a cold shower. You're saying no. you're going to come one day. And Mariam, mm. you jumping in any ponds in the morning? No, no, but you know what I have started again <laughs> on, in the last week is ballet. Oh, oh wow. Nice. Okay. So I, I used to be part of this amazing body positive, gender neutral ballet space a few years ago in London. And it was my first real yep. time doing ballet. What's it called? It used to, well, it's, it's closed now, but okay. it used to call, be called Irreverent Dance. Yep. And it was great because, you know, it, no one looked a certain way. There was no expectations. You were there to have fun and move, and, yeah. but learn proper proper um, ballet. And so was it people from all different classes? Every, yeah. It like was, social classes? Yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting because ballet is considered to be very... Mm. Yeah. It's quite elitist. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, people who were trans, people who had different disabilities, people who were gender non-conforming, people who were fat, skinny, tall, all everyone. And wow. so nice. doing that for a few years really gave me kind of a love for it. I yeah. never found the thing that I would would really get me to travel across London to go and do mm. f- yeah, physical yeah, activity yeah. isn't really my my bag. Um, and then that school shut down because yeah. as with so many things in London, they sold it to developers to build a block, block of flats. Um, and so I didn't do ballet for a new, few years, but then I, I found this incredible class at my gym run by this wonderful teacher. Um, and I went back last week and I just thought to myself, this is brilliant. Like I just feel mm-hmm. so connected. I think when you spend a lot of the time doing what I do, which is all in your head mm. and sitting in front of computers and even presenting, it's just, there's just some, you only do two or three different kinds of movements. And yeah. then to do ballet, which is really fun, but strict on your body. I, I love it. I the can't discipline. Mm. Yeah. And just moving it differently. You know, when you, I, what I learned from doing ballet was this real acceptance of not being able to do things and being okay with that and then learning how to do them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would tell your body, do this thing, jump and do this thing. And then it just wouldn't do it. Mm. And you you can either let that make you really frustrated mm-hmm. or it can be a real, for me, it was just a real Zen experience of being, this is amazing. I'm telling my legs to move. They're not moving. How do I get them to move? And then, you know, four weeks later, you're doing the movement and it's was just mm. a wonderful. So I'm so excited to be back. 
No, that's wonderful. It's amazing to challenge yourself like that as well. Yeah. And something that seemed insurmountable, like I will never get I will never yeah. get there. Just to put yourself into a, a space and the humbleness as well to mm-hmm. learn uh, and to be and to challenge yourself. Mm. But talk me through the first um for me, I find there's mental barriers here yeah, when you're going to like trying to go to a gym class. Mm. It's it's like I've never felt like I belonged in the gym. Mm. And everyone's always talking about mental health and physical health, like they're connected, right? And um when I remember, when was the, I can't remember the first gym I joined, but I've not joined many. But I was very scared about going into a class. So do you mentally prepare yourself on, on going into these environments where you don't know absolutely yeah. anybody? The instructor looks like what they're meant to look like and that's incredible. Yeah. And then everyone is amazing at what they're doing and you're just they're like... Um, mm. I mean, I can show you the video recorded on my way to the thing that, the, the class I didn't post, which was basically being, you know, just me saying, you know, what are you, what's, what are you all going to bet that I am the only fat person in this class? Like, everyone there is going to be super thin and super flexible and super skillful Mm -hmm. and as usual I'm going to be the only fat body in the room which as a fat person you kind of as a space you learn to occupy very quickly if you ever want to do anything right Mm -hmm. there aren't that many of us that are visible Mm -hmm. because there's so much stigma around it and so you just kind of are like it's okay and then I and then what I loved was I went there and I and and actually everyone looked really different they're all people young people because it was during the day Mm-hmm. You know, I think if I went to the 8.30 in the morning class on a Saturday, yeah, everyone would be in, like, proper ballet gear. But this is just a bit of ragtag bunch of people, and mm. it was really great. I think, I do think there, I always have to do that. I've never felt like physical activity is my thing. I've never felt like I've wanted to do it with other people. It takes me a long time to build the trust mm-hmm. to even... Mm to work with someone I now have a, a, a personal trainer who I love mm-hmm. because he doesn't try to make me something I'm not yeah um and I could have that really honest conversation with him in the beginning that and that yeah. was just everything you know it's actually it's, it's very important because like when you are working out or doing any form of physical activity you're gonna get very intimate with that person mm. you're sweating mm. they're shouting at you they're in your space they're right up in your business yeah. they can see you avoiding your demons they know how to push you and to, it, it is trust I have a boxing boxing coach um, called Archie Sharp and he's incredible with me because like he doesn't care he's just like 10 press ups I don't care what happened to you before you got in the gym. You're in the gym. 10 press-ups. And I'm like, I like that. I need mm. to be spoken to like this. Mm. <laughs> I need Because otherwise, I know me. I will find a way to persuade him to mm. be like, oh, you know what it is? Yeah. Nope. 10 <laughs> press-ups. And I'm like, I trust you enough to know that you're doing this for my benefit. Mm. Um, yeah, finding that trusting, trusting space mm. is definitely really yeah. important. And it's definitely on the road to healing. Yeah. I think, like, I don't know, I think it's also really important for people to listen to you in these spaces. Yeah. You know, like, I go in and I say to the trainer, like, the, I, I'm not here to lose weight. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not interested mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. I'm here to feel strong and I'm getting old, so I need some energy. Yeah. And that is it. And then you see this thing where, you know, everyone goes in and it's like, New Year, I need to lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, I don't care if I gain 10 pounds, just make me strong and make me energized. Yeah. And I, I think if you can find someone who will listen to you and let you be you in those spaces that are often so dominated by expectation and stigma and mm. and pressure, mm-hmm. that's where you can really connect. 100%. Where do you think that like pressure and stigma and fear comes from then? 
I, like for you, where does yeah, that come from? I think because it, I think when you're doing the actual exercise or you're doing yeah. something which is a good choice for your whole body, for your mental health, for your physical health, when you're in the moment, you're just in it and you're like, I'm so glad I came here. And even mm-hmm. if it's tough, you leave and you go, that was a great thing. Yeah. So what's this disconnect between like the fear before it? Like for you, what, what I, does that look like? I, for I you? think it comes from, and that's the subject of this conversation, these stories have not been told before. So hearing the fact that you're jumping into the pond in the morning, yeah, and hearing you're going to a ballet class with no intention to lose weight and me going to a spinning class that's 99% women is like these stories have never been told before. I remember growing up there was like, and I was like, mm. I remember my mum went to a legs, bums and tums class and she came home and she was telling me all about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds sick. I want to go. But she was like, no, nah, it's all women. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm. And then... Now I go to a spinning class and it's, it's 99% women, but I, lo- I love it. But I think it's because I've never heard of these things before. Mm. So when you're the first one to do it, obviously when you're the first one to do anything, sometimes people are like, uh, what are you doing? And that can actually scare you, which takes me to the first question I'd like to ask you, Sam. Do it. I'm ready. Writing a song, because you are very multifaceted and we have a modelling world, but we're not going to walk down that road just yet. I would like to talk to you about songwriting. Writing a song, telling a story, where do you start? Um, it can start in a lot of different places. It can start from a physical experience or a relationship. Often I tend mm-hmm. to like write about that sort of relational side or say my friend's going through something or I'm going through something and I just, I found it, uh, I found music and songwriting such a cathartic space. Wow. Um, that's def- it's definitely been part of my mental health like balance, balancing to be able to have a way to tell a story that just gets it out of you. I really do believe like writing in general and and music, songwriting, any writing really, any creative, even if it's poetry, mm-hmm. noting down your thoughts is an amazing way to just express more, maybe what you're sort of bottled up inside. And sometimes I will tell the stories in my songs mm-hmm. that I will very rarely tell my friends. Uh, and so it's really a really, really interesting. Um, I mean, really, I, and I only come about writing a song when I feel there's a real need as well to share something. To let it out and sometimes I'll do a co-write with someone and we'll come together and we'll jam a few ideas around and we'll find something that we both want to write mm-hmm. about and it might not be that deep or it might be a little bit fun. I mean, there are many different ways in yep. to writing the song in the first instance, but that's when I feel I'm right. I know I'm writing something really deep and meaningful and the song normally comes a lot easier because there's a, like, there's yeah. a big web of like context maybe been building up that, um, that allows that story on. to be told. So, interesting, you said the word cathartic. Um, I was on the Mental Health Foundation website a couple of days ago and I saw an article by a lady called Lily. Her last name is spelled A-S-C-H, so I don't know how to pronounce it. Asch? Asch. I, I don't want to pronounce it wrong. No, so Lily A-S-S-A-S-C-H. Um, and she says storytelling has cathartic power as well. Mm. So it definitely does feel like a lot of writers share this commonality. Mm. Mariam, what part of the elements of storytelling do you think really help the mind? I think there's mm. something about the power of writing your own story and and using your own words and telling it from your own perspective. I think what people struggle with so much is that maybe they feel like their story has already been written. 
mm-hmm. you know, from whether that's societal pressure or parental pressure or even just the things they think they should be doing and the things they think they should be, you know, or the mm. things that society tells them that they are. Um, and there's something very important about being able to say, actually, this is how I see the world and this is who I am. And that, I think, is where the power comes from because it all of a sudden is you and your words and you're choosing them instead mm. of the labels that maybe mm-hmm. have been put on you externally. Yeah, no, that's a really good answer. And um, building off of that, I do, I do personally believe there is this huge activism of, yeah, everybody go out there, share your stories to the world, let's all be amazing and be inspired by it. However, the aftermath, as being a storyteller myself, as the same as yourselves, when you share this vulnerability, how and what advice do both of you give with regards to self-care? For example, I, I've never shared my story before, I go on stage, I now share my story, I have an I get a standing ovation, but I have also unleashed a lot of trauma. And when you then leave and you go home, a lot of this resurfaces and you're not on stage anymore. There's no producer to help you with anything. And it's just you by yourself. So how do you manage that? Mm. Because a lot of people don't see that. Mm. And it does look very appealing to stand up. And it's very brave to tell Mm. your stories, but then having to deal with the aftermath of all these... um, It's like Pandora's box, Mm -hmm. running Mm. round in your head, open of all of these emotions and traumas and pain and past experiences. So, yeah, Mm. what self-care tips do y'all want to give us? It's such a fascinating... That's a fascinating subject. I mean, we deal with this all the time at TEDx. Mm -hmm. All the time. So, you know, at TEDx London Women, that just happened about a month ago, a month and a half ago, we had a number of stories being told of that on that stage by people who had and are experiencing extreme trauma. Mm. It was their decision to tell their story and it was something that they desperately wanted to do. But as a coach and a curator, my responsibility is to have that very open conversation with them to say, look, I am going to do my best to not make you repeat this a million times in rehearsal. Because every time you say... I was raped, I was beaten, I was imprisoned. You were reliving that in your mind and I don't want you to do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm going to make sure that when you tell your story on stage, it is so damn good that everyone has to listen to you, mm. which requires rehearsal. So you mm. have this real <clears throat> balance on oh, it. so true. And there are some speakers who, you know, we actually do work with where partway through their process, we come to an agreement where we say, you know what, actually... I'm going to go back into therapy. I'm going to come back to you next year. Mm. And it's like, yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. I think, mm. so there's that, there's that side of realizing that every time you do tell your story, you are re- living that trauma again mm. and you have to choose then if it is traumatic, if there's mm. something difficult. But I think the other side is, you know, learning to also, um, there's, so there's that side, which is the pre-sharing side, which is deciding that, making mm. sure you're supported in mm-hmm. it. Um, and then there's what happens afterwards. You know, we have a real plan for lots of our speakers because they're going to get trolled afterwards because they're going to hear nasty things or they're going to get overwhelmed by people saying, that happened to you, it happened to me too, and then Mm. unloading. And you're like a conduit for all this other energetic exchange. And they've never had someone they can speak to and they think they can come to you and you're not a therapist Mm. either. And And you can't help them. Mm. 
but you feel obliged to help mm. them. Yeah. Because, yeah. And lots of our speakers will, lots of our, for example, higher profile <clears throat> speakers who speak about stuff that's difficult, they've had this experience. So they're like, look, I'm not going to go out and talk to people afterwards because mm-hmm. what I'm going to get is people telling me, 20 times their stories of sexual assault and mm. I can't do yeah. that right now I'm, I'm very and they're very lucky to like have that. you because if they didn't but really they are because sometimes as a, you know just as an artist not really having someone there to be like this is what could happen yeah. um, you have to learn the hard way yeah. mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to go oh I've, maybe I've opened up myself a little bit too much to yeah. people that I don't actually know, but I've connected with somehow because I've shared yeah. something of myself and now they feel there's a connection there that's maybe deeper than it actually should be. Because it's easy to exploit, yeah. right? Mm. People will exploit your pain mm. because it's compelling for other people to watch. And you have to be careful that you're not being exploited. Like, like you know, like war pornography or trauma porn or this idea of like people voyeuristically looking at your pain producers curators will use that mm-hmm. it sells tickets but mm. you have to have a responsibility as a human being not to do yeah. that to other people and that don't again i mean it kind of it's kind of what you said but that dance between like as an artist in rehearsal and like all the pre if you're going to go there and deliver either it's a it's a public speech you know it mm-hmm. is at some level a performance mm. it is not just a story between friends and what's yeah. your mm-hmm. ultimate aim um you know when i went to drama school there was one performance where you know one one girl went so deeply into her trauma that it was actually, you know, she was ruined by it and, mm-hmm. and devastated by it for it. a week. And she, and actually it was uncomfortable to watch. Wow. So I think there's this, like, you know, and the audience really felt that. It was like, this is almost going, like, too deep. We we do, and as an artist, that is your responsibility, to, I guess, to, like, cross that bridge and, and work at it and practice mm-hmm. it and rehearse it so you can find that healthy distance between embodying it and living it and then go and that doesn't define me anymore and as soon as I get off that stage I shake it off I wash that off and go I've just channeled some part of my past or my trauma whatever's going on in my heart body mind and spirit and I've offered that up to inspire other people but now I I, and that all comes in the in the pre-work and being able Mm -hmm. to then go okay now let it go and I take that suit off yeah, and uh, and I can just start start a different start conversation. A it's um, but it's hard. It's, it's a, a hard. It's, it's a, a hard skill. dance to move and between we, the two. We're gonna have and a com- trial by fire. Sometimes <laughs> we're gonna have a conversation later on with um, Yamin Chowdhury, who you know mm-hmm. from Hackney Empire, the creative director, and an actor called Jack Brett Anderson, all about acting and the arts and mental health. So it's really interesting that you say these things. Um, it was similar for me when I did my TEDx experience. Um, I, I did a TEDx speech, but then I asked Mariam to delete it, mainly because every time I was watching it, I was reliving where I mentally was, mm. and I didn't want that. And like, it was like, sure. it's like the TED circle, you stand in that circle, and it's kind of like the X Factor of speakers, right? Oh, it's absolutely. A, it's a very prestigious it's thing. It's amazing. And, and, um, and it is an amazing platform. Yeah, and you see all these TED talks, and then you go and do it, and then it's like, okay, it's done. Oh my God, everyone liked it. But mm. then that, keeps coming back to haunt me so me mentally and i'm like this a lot with my work so i'll be interested to know what how you feel about being exposed same way i saw you everywhere at christmas even though i didn't actually see you in person i saw you on buses i saw you on billboards i I saw you in the the debenhams campaign i saw you at my local train station i saw Samway in 
Beckton, like I saw him in Ilford, I saw him everywhere. And how do you, so first question is, how do you feel about being that exposed? Like, how do, have, you, have you ever thought about that? And then secondly, I'll let you answer that first. And then I'll get to the second one. I guess there's a disconnect between like, uh, you know, me on, me in like an ad campaign or something like that, very front facing. It is like I'm playing a character. It is like I'm playing a role. The client said, this is what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to sell this. We're trying to, this is what the mood we're trying to embody. So do that. It's an act. It's kind of you're embodying that role. You might be wearing a certain amount of clothes, but it's it's a layer removed from who I am. And I guess yeah. I've been doing it a long time. Mm. I mean, I'm modeling for 16 years. So do you feel wow. like you become... So like the first time I saw my picture in like, Man, you know, I went, my mum went to go stood by it, and we yeah. were like doing a little selfie. How old were you? Like, when young, I was 16. Let's head the story, yeah. let's head the yeah. story because we never actually deeped the story, right? Uh, so, so, I mentioned it in the introduction. Sam, tell us your story as to how you got into I got scouted when I was 16 years old. I'm in like a small, small town in Devon, up to London with my best mate and my mum. And this guy chases me up the stairs in Topman because that's where they used to street cast. And uh, he said, You know, would you like to be, you know, would you be interested in doing some male modeling? And I was like, mm, Is that a job? that I can do. And <laughs> then uh, it was the early beginnings and it, it's, it's yeah. been an absolute roller coaster of, um, of a career and one that, you know, last year has been very, very kind to me in many ways, but also come with loads of other challenges. And if yeah. you'd be up for it, we can definitely talk about that, that later because it definitely affected my mental health. Yeah, I want Definitely to... affected my relationship to my body. But I'll answer the question, for, I'll answer this question first, just tie it up nicely. Um, so there's a disconnect there between like when I see myself and like the like the real just the, the human, you know. There's there's uh, there's always this um, pro- I guess projection as well. We see mm-hmm. someone in like an advert. We see someone and, and we have certain assumptions. We can't help it. It's natural. But you like take all those assumptions away. Like there's not there is the human in that, but the human is so much more deep and vast and complex. And an image often doesn't show. All of that. A really good image will start to show some of that, but it can never communicate mm. the totality. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with putting myself forward like that because it's like, hey, that's my job. If you listen to some of my music, mm-hmm. you listen to two tracks on like my first ever EP, you will learn more about me as a human and the stories that I tell and what's actually gone on in my life. That's much more exposing for me wow. to release music yeah. uh, so, and to put that out there. Because it's your words. Yeah, yes, your words, exactly. It ties exactly into what you were so, saying. Your words, your story. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Do you think if you're, uh, uh, let me get this right. So if you're standing in a topless campaign, right, compared to your words and your work, which one is more naked? 
I think the emotional world is always going to be more naked than the physical and world. Do you ever feel a Let's feel like butt naked. <laughs> do you ever do you ever do you ever, <laughs> do you ever feel a responsibility because I I have this I have a big problem. I I write all the time. All the time I'm writing and, and I think I write some great things and I have a big problem with release. Like I can never seem I see like my work paper right as like the place I make mm. my airplane. Mm. Then my inbox where I save it is like my departure lounge. But the 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 planes <laughs> never take off like because it. I can never send them out yeah, to people yeah, yeah. because I feel like it's overexposing. It's it's difficult. It's emotional. It's vulnerability. It's vulnerability, mm. and that's the best stuff comes from being vulnerable. It does, I, and I get that. But I then feel like I'm not just letting myself down. I'm letting other people down because these are stories people need to hear. Because you're because you're not releasing it because you're writing something which so, is vulnerable and could be inspiring. Yeah. It's inspiring for you and you're not putting it out there. So, do you, of both of you, I guess it's a question. Mm. Do you ever feel a sense of responsibility when you wrote something that's so deep to be like, okay, this is amazing, but it's so raw. But someone out there needs to hear this. So I have to put this out because I speak to a lot of writers all the time and we're all in such similar places. I'm like, I might share something with one of you and then be like, yeah, this shit's fire, right? Yeah, yeah, like it came from a real place. They're like, yeah, put it out. <clears throat> and you're like, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. And I don't know if anyone else feels ever the same way about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so it, it's so interesting you say this because there's two sides of this for me. One is, this is what I fundamentally believe. This is why I do the work I do is that we are at a point in life where we need, like in human life, like human history, where we need to hear new stories and new ideas from new voices, right? And everything I do supports that. And that is about being vulnerable, about sharing what you have to share, because I think the thing that really makes me sad is when people do hold themselves back, they are holding, giving something wonderful into the world that could really change things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really believe that. On the flip side, when I write and when I create and when I put stuff out there, I also, I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, and I keep it back. And, and for me, t this year is going to be all about making the transition from being kind of behind and supporting others to actually putting some of my own stuff out really? there. And I already anticipate that being a real, a real difficult kind of bridge to cross in my work. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sam? Uh, I totally lost my train of thought because I just got so engaged in what you were saying. <laughs> uh, it was a very, very a it was, beautiful answer. But uh, let me just try and let me just try and remember. It was something about. Um, I don't even remember the it, question it's, myself. It's, what it, was it? It's about depart about do you ever hold your work? Oh back? yeah, that was it. Yeah. Okay. So I got it back. I got it back. I got it back. Um, this like, I think when you hold stuff back and anything, it has a tendency to just stay stuck and manifest and mm. you're like always aware of the work that you like didn't want bold enough to like release and put out there and I just feel it also is a massive creative block because yeah, the best point. thing to do you've got to release it somewhere if it's a soft release if you just put it on SoundCloud mm. I don't know like Someone's you do you just it. do it live just it. find a way even if you're not comfortable with like standing up on mm. a TED stage and sharing it with the entire TED yeah. audience, but just finding a way to release for yourself so you don't feel that you're holding yourself back mm -hmm. and stopping 
the latent creativity to come through. Because if the creative comes through and it hits a block where you go, oh, but I couldn't release that, then what else are you saying no to? Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought of it that way. So, that there's not enough room in you for, yeah, to hold for it. so much mm-hmm. that you have to let some things go so yeah. that new things can be created. I, I can't even oh. remember some of my old songs because I've written <laughs> so many of them now. So it was like, I, I don't know. I'm glad I put it out. I'm glad I recorded it. Because <laughs> so you, 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 I can relearn it. You release quite regularly, though. Like I, I'm, a throughout, fan, throughout I'm a fan. Throughout my... Uh, I'm a fan of this, a lot of the stuff Korea, that you've done. I've, yeah, I've always made an effort to just release stuff, you know, even if it's not, like, perfect. And even if I now look That's back so on it. That's so good. That, pra- even that if I human look back practice now, of release is important. Because yeah. I'm definitely with you on the creative mm, block. Mm, I do think, like, I'm sitting on stuff that can not only change my life mm, for the better mentally, mm, but, like, physically and financially as well. Well, publishing is artistic practice also. Yeah, not wow. just the creation, but publishing it is part of the so, whole process. Is storytelling a viable career path? Because I, when I was growing up, I was reading Caroline Duffy, I was reading Rudyard Kipling, I was reading William Shakespeare, and then I was listening to Soul Solid Crew, Dizzy mm. Rascal, and everyone is a storyteller in their own right. Mm. However, mm. in today's world, I believe this is my own thoughts. Um, what was once seen as a very middle class elitist sport mm. of writing is now as mixed and as cultural and diverse as it's ever been, mainly due to the internet. And like, mm. and you have poets on Instagram, you have, you have songwriters and storytellers all across the world sharing their voices. Mm. But is it a viable career path? I think there are so, there's just, there's so many, there's so many voices now and there's so many ways to hear amazing stories that, you know, as a listener, you're sort of a bit inundated as well. We're all a bit overwhelmed, not only by <laughs> life going on around <laughs> us, but the stories that are out there and that we could listen to, you know, like what podcasts am I going to listen to? Oh, there's like 700 podcasts I could get yeah. into and more, plus some. What writers am I going to get into? So I think the struggle for any new voice and a new artist and anyone who's telling a story is to actually be heard amongst all mm-hmm. the noise. I think that's the biggest struggle for, <laughs> like, to make a career as a storyteller these days. There's just so many amazing people stepping forward with their creativity. That's why your platform is amazing. Thank you. I do think there's two things for me. Like one is that all the traditional gatekeepers still exist. Mm. You know, it's not that the publishing world is any more diverse than it used to be. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe about one percent, but that's nothing. Or that you know there aren't still those traditional people that will are are holding the places of power. I think what's happened is that now you can you know, go you can kind of circumvent that and mm-hmm. and publish online and do your own thing and then the gatekeeper is volume right then the gatekeeper is actually how do you break through the noise the noise becomes the thing you have to break Mm. through rather than a person or industry Mm. but i wonder if we just thought about storytelling differently that then it would be viable because i think and in in the more commercial work i do for example that there are storytellers everywhere it's Mm -hmm. not just about being an author or a poet or a spoken word artist or a musician you know the, the 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 traditional places where story and storytelling lives or even being a public speaker i think it's about you know if you work in a bank and you have to talk about diversity and inclusion. You know, what are the stories you're telling that can really bring people to like life around that issue? You know, if you're working in a in a shop, you know, what are the stories you're telling about your company and about the kind of world you're going to create? We could tell stories and become better storytellers no matter what we do mm. and think about it differently and then that then it is viable. Mm. So maybe it's not even viable anymore if everyone at some level has a, mm-hmm. uh, a latent ability for storytelling maybe it is even a responsibility for us to be yeah. aware of that maybe it's not even a, 
viability but a responsibility for all of us to, to tell those stories yeah, no, this is I think about being an artist is different though I think if you're if you're an artist you're creating art that is a smaller much smaller sub, subsection of people I think mm. everyone can use stories and storytelling but what I see both, your, both of you doing is, is creating a form of art and that will always be different mm. okay here's a good question how do you know your story's finished how do you know your story's finished you say the end do no you? i'm joking you know, <laughs> go, yeah, i remember i remember who's saying like doing like the you know one of the first times i went with hussein i yeah. did this like poetry video down with him we shot on a submarine oh, and, and it never came out and then we filmed another one in a castle yeah i never came out i never came out i've got so many fully produced you things. know this prince in his house had this massive archive no. of all of the material that he completely fully produced and then, and then, yeah, then shut never, away in the archive yeah. i got issues so he he's there and we're doing the end of this thing and it's been a successful shoot never came out but no biggie uh and we were in kfc you know all the whole <laughs> team whole team were in kfc and he's saying like let's get some chicken mm. and we're all sat there and everyone's eating and, and this thing goes i've got some new material for you and he stands up at the end of the table, like, you know, KFC oh table, big long table. I can't believe I did this. And, and, you know, he does, he does his latest sort of piece. Love it. You know, super inspired. We're mm. all, like, stopping our chicken. No one touches the fry. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> and KFC, then at the KFC end... KFC fries have a lot better all the time. Yeah. We have and then at the end, he goes... End scene. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's how you end the story. Yeah, that's how you end is, that, is that what the moral of the story well, is? That's how you end the story. Maybe it is. Um, that was a beautiful memory. That is, that's a good memory. It's um, a good time. Okay, then. Different question. How do you start to write your story? Why are you speaking? Mm. Answer that question. Mm. That's what the question is. Why are you speaking? Mm-hmm. You know, I know it sounds silly, but is no, it because... Profound. is You know, because it... it there is something to understanding. Is this a is this an act of ego, or yeah. is this a real thing I really want to talk about, yeah. or is this something I need to get out of me? Why? Mm. And by speaking, yeah. I mean why is it coming out of you? Whether that's yeah. in written words or in spoken mm-hmm. words. Is it a catharsis? Is it just um, yeah. something you've learned and you yeah. want to share? Why is this? Is, it's all. Why are you speaking? Is all about why is it important to you? Why does this mm. matter? What role will this play in your life? What are you trying mm. to communicate to other people? Yeah. I think you have to be. You have to know that, even if you just mm. know it in mm. in your heart. It's the exact same thing with songwriting. Like, why are you telling this? Mm-hmm. Why are you telling this story? Why are you singing this song? Uh, and also, what do you want the person listening to feel as yeah. well? Do, do, yeah. you, do, um, do you both ever feel this when you're writing? Um, sometimes I get overwhelmed by a single sentence. So, like, I would be sitting there. I'm writing. I'm like, today, okay, open my laptop. I open a book. I write one line, and I'm like, you know what? I'm done for. I'm done. I'm done for the evening. I don't think I'm that good yet. No, yeah. no. I do. I do sometimes because you've. I've just addressed something in this sentence, in these like margin lines. I have just addressed something that I have never addressed, and then I'm like, okay, now you're on paper. Maybe I feel like that because I'm like, okay, now you're on paper. You're one line. You're soon gonna become a stanza. Then you're going to become another stanza. Mm. Then you might even ha- have a little chorus. Mm. And I know once you're complete, you're then coming into my mouth 
when you're mm. on my mouth you're coming out live mm-hmm. and then people are going to know. Mm-hmm. So maybe I stop myself or, or I think mm-hmm. maybe I've just developed this practice of being able to um, mm-hmm. prepare myself for what it is I'm about to talk about because like I've been talking about mental health for around six years now and six years ago when I first started doing this, people weren't talking about this. So I was like, okay, well, I sit in my room and I cry because I'm depressed. Whereas... I'm like, oh my days, people, I'm going to tell people my deepest, darkest, like, mm. things. So I don't know if any of you ever get overwhelmed by, by yourself. I get overwhelmed by a thought or a story that, like, in the process I'm in right now, I will I'll have one, one min, like, experience that I'm thinking about how to write. I will just turn it over. Mm. In my head. And, and think it will just about keep it. on going. Yeah. Mm. Look at it from all the different angles. And that... I think knowing when to move out of that phase is the thing I'm learning. Mm. I guess, yeah, you're worried about when you write something with, with, with such, um, I guess that really sums up the entire, in one line, you've kind of nailed the embodiment of mm. what you're going to say. And it hits you at a place so hard that you're like, wow, how much deeper can I go in? How much deeper can I go into yeah. this? Um, and it is gonna, always going to be scary to come out with um, yeah. vulnerable things. I mean, sometimes I'll just get stuck into a song and sometimes songwriting for me is like a puzzle, you know? Yeah. I know what I want to say, I know yeah. why I'm saying it, but I don't have the words yet. And sometimes yeah. like a line will just come out and I'll be just like, and I'll, and I'll be like, oh, I'll just stop writing. Isn't that and the I'll best bit? Be like, that was really but good. But isn't that because the best hit, bit? Yeah. Like isn't that, that is that what That's you've been Because what I was going to ask is, is it because that line is so, it hits it right, so perfectly mm. expresses what you're trying to say, that then you think, how, where can I go from here? Mm. But, you know, this might sound weird, but to me, that is like the most intimate form of like, I feel like that's like having sex. <laughs> like, I genuinely feel like when when you're when you've hit that spot and you cry and you've released and you've let it all out, it's like, oh my days, like that is a release. I it's mean, a human definitely release. Like, co- like it's such a point of connection. Like, it's interesting yeah. that you say that because there's there are certain forms of sex that are all about that. Yeah. So like if you're into like kink or BDSM. All of it is about getting to that moment of cathartic release. Mm. Everything. Because for me, when I'm, Mm. it's like if I'm writing by myself or I'm with someone and all of a sudden we're both crying and we're there, we're writing, we're crying. I'm just like, this is a beautiful act. It is therapy. It is expression. It's natural. It's organic. It's all the buzzwords in the world. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and and we got on that journey and now all of a sudden I feel better. I feel a lot better because I addressed it. And it's, it belongs on the paper now. It doesn't belong to me. And I think that is one of connection in its many manifest forms is one of the best remedies for balance, rebalancing your mental health. Wow, beautiful. Okay, this might be a personal question and you don't need to answer it if you don't want to. I could start by answering that. What stories individually would you like to tell this year that have not been told from the soundtracks of your lives? Hmm. Shall I go first? Yeah, please, because this is the question I'm literally asking myself right now, so I'd love to hear your answer. I think one thing I'm really getting ready to address with my work is actually being very lonely. Mm. Like, ever since my mum passed away, it's been very difficult and very different in my house. And I eat out a lot because 
I refuse to teach myself how to cook because I genuinely believe me teaching myself how to cook is me becoming an adult and I want to try to <laughs> hold on to my childhood as much as I can. Oh, so um, eating out of like boxes and takeaway boxes and Uber Eats and stuff is not... That food don't love you. Do you know what I mean? Like the food that you order from takeaway don't love you, but home cooked food loves you because someone spent time putting that onto your plate. Mm. And I feel like I've lost the essence of that home that I've lost the essence of love that home cooked food brings you. And my older sister is amazing and she brings she always cooks for us and I feel it from her. But I also kind of feel like I need to address this because I'm surely not the only one who's feeling unloved from the food that I eat, from where I order it from, how it's packaged and delivered to me. And and loneliness I think yeah it hits you. And I think if you've spent like I've spent twenty five years of my life eating with my mum eating as a family to spending the last three years eating alone or having an odd meal with my sister or odd meal with my dad it, it throws you and you really sit down and you're about to eat your food and you, you hear nothing in the house you're like this is the sound of loneliness and in them moments it can be so scary and so daunting and I feel like I'm ready to talk about what it feels like to be lonely in a mm. connected world where people don't think you can be alone do you know what I mean mm. so um, I'm ready to do that what about you guys <laughs> what what part of your trauma are you ready to share because <laughs> <Are you laughs> that's a real question that's a real it? question yeah. isn't it what part of your trauma are you ready to share next with the world or what do you feel like is naturally coming to you like you ain't. You don't need to answer. I understand. I, I feel very... like a lot of a lot of. I feel at the moment I'm writing a lot of stuff, which is actually quite more uplifting. That's I feel good. like I've been. Through, I think I've been through quite a cathartic stage with my music, where you know, if you were go, if you were to like read into it, like if you knew the story, you'd be like, oh, that's about Sam's bulimia, you know, or that's about Sam's family, or but you don't mm-hmm. know because it's written in the song and everyone takes mm-hmm. a certain aspect sort of like of it yeah um and now i'm finding myself naturally wanting to communicate stories about like just that friendship and connection and just like and just real things that happened mm-hmm. it, uh, in life but uh, delivering them in a way that is just totally within um in just uh, my voice, I, I, I guess that's, that's where, a re- that's where I'm at. You've worked this, to be in that where place. I'm at at the moment. Them pond jumping um, things really do work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Mariam? I think there's two things I've, um, which is something I've said like eight times on this podcast, but I, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, one of them is um, about looking at all the stories that I heard growing up from my family mm-hmm. and putting them in one place. Wow. Um, that's really needed. Yeah, I think they because they shape how I see the world and who I am, and I want to bring them together somehow. And I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find the right shape of container for them. Mm. Um, wow. The other the other thing is to maybe ch- it's an album. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> see. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, and the other thing is about how. Um, I've always how I've basically spent my whole life trying to create a sense of belonging and community and how that feels um, and how that's led to some of the most amazing things I do mm-hmm. and how it's also led to some of the, the most difficult moments. Amazing. And last question, most important question of all, any candle recommendations? 
Any candle recommendation? Yeah, I mean, this is not by all means sponsored by any candle company. But when I write, I always light a candle. I don't know why. But shout out IKEA because they got the best candles and they're cheap too. But I don't know. Any candle recommendation from anybody? No, but now I'm definitely going to get you a candle. I mean, you could I mean, get me, look, you could get me a been... Tom Ford wood, wood one. Okay. I did I one up in Selfridges, okay. but I couldn't afford gonna it. going to so get I'm... up with the candle chat. Tom Dixon. Oh, okay. Come yeah, on. fair. I've never I mean, of... it's a spenny candle. Yeah. yeah. But... Okay, yeah. I've I've got I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a candle. I would say diptyque for me <laughs> if we're gonna go top top so end. Beautiful. But I've got a candle for you. <laughs> I've never heard of you. I, I know Joe Malone. Best question ever. Yeah, this is a good. This is we could have had a whole I mean, chat just about to, candles. I need to upgrade from my IKEA candle collection. Maybe that would be nice merch. You know, be like yeah. my name's Hussein. Here's I don't a have candle. a t-shirt. But I got this lovely candle. candles are beautiful. I, I think there's there's so much. Do you know what? Because I don't know. I can't remember who said it, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to claim it was me because I don't want to get dragged. You're, but you're saying internet it. But you're saying plagiarism. It. You're saying so um, it was. Oh, man, what was it? What was it? Say it's something it about a spark. It starts with an. It starts with a single spark. It, and it ignites with a spark. Okay. And that's what I feel like every time you light a candle. There's that. Wow. Let's that that moment. Light something yeah, up right that, now. Yeah, that moment of. Whoosh, about to happen well thank you very much Mariam Pasha and Sam Wei for joining me on my takeover on the I Am Whole podcast it was it wasn't emotional which was quite good because it shows that these practices that we're preaching about genuinely help Mm. because there was a time in my life where I'd talk about things and I'd be really emotional to talk about them but it shows that practice Mm. makes healing I guess doesn't Mm. it Mm. thank you very much anything coming up from you Sam that we need to keep our eyes and ears open for Uh, I published my book earlier this uh, earlier last year which is amazing I've got like four shows coming up in London I'm supporting you you'll be supporting me on Mother's Day on Mother's Day very nice uh, coming up uh but yeah, so much stuff going on this year. It's all good. Mariam? Um, yeah, we're all, I'm all still in planning stages for the year, but I think some exciting... Telex London is going to have some really cool stuff happening this year, and hopefully so will I, away from that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for your stories. Thank you. It's the original Mummy's Boy, <laughs> Ilford's Finest, the Wizard of the East End, and that was episode one with me on the I Am Whole podcast. Jordan, I'm really enjoying this, so you might want to stay away a bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Winning is an everyday mindset. And we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. We're kicking off during March Madness. Cal's Kentucky Wildcats are in the hunt. So throughout the tournament, I'm going to call up my friend to ask about his wins, losses, and especially what he's telling his players in the locker room. You got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Powered by Spirit Studios.